Greetings and salutations and welcome to the February 2nd edition of Full Time, brought to you by Thrush Creative, the game sports show, and the game entertainment and media. I'm your host, Scott Nason, as we are joined once again by co-host Daniel Scarpino, Full Time, our bi-weekly show talking about the beautiful game of soccer as we cover all the goings-on in domestic, international, and local soccer in the area. Daniel, great to be with you once again on this Wednesday, February 2nd edition of Full Time. How you doing? I'm doing great, Scott, and it's a pleasure to be with you as well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Daniel, and uh, certainly we'll have lots to talk about coming up uh, as far as Canada's big 2-0 win over the weekend over the United States, along with other international and local soccer. But let's start with the transfer market. The window has now closed, and on our last show in mid-January, we mentioned some of the moves and knew there would be more, and there was, and certainly we have a lot to cover, so we're not going to get to every move because we'd have to have about a three-hour show. We're going to get to some of the bigger names that are on the move or will be on the move. And uh, first of all, let's talk about Dusan Vlhovic. He is going from Fiorentina to Juventus. This is one of the bigger money moves in Europe. uh, As uh, Premier League teams were looking to get him, but... He's going to swap in Syria, going to Juventus, a move that certainly has not gone down well with the Viola. The switch means that the 21-year-old Serbian international uh, can still maintain his push for the Capo Canamaneri. I hope I got that right. I know you're Italian. You'll correct me, as right now he sits level with Lazio striker Immobile atop the Serie A goal-scoring leaderboard with 17 goals. Uh, Daniel, first of all, big move for Juventus. What do you think of that one? It's a massive move, Scott, and probably I would say the biggest move of the transfer window, if not one of the the biggest moves. And we were talking about on previous shows how Juventus had to find different ways to be creative, particularly in the attack. They've now got their man because Dusan Vlahovic, he can do a little bit of everything. He's excellent in 1v1 situations. He's incredibly quick, so he can get in behind. He can get onto balls into the channels. Uh, He's a bit of a fox in the box, and he's really good uh, in the air. So it's a huge move for Juventus. Dusan Vlahovic is, is one of the up-and-coming strikers that everyone wants to keep an eye on. And all I can say is that it's a damn shame that uh, Arsenal couldn't land him, but I can understand why he went to Juventus. Massive club, huge move. Yeah, and a team that's needed that kind of move. If you watch the uh, Amazon series, All or Nothing, that was one of the things they were looking for in the last transfer market around this time last year. And certainly, uh, Juventus did very well this season in the transfer market. Another move, uh, Manchester City to Barcelona for Ferran Torres, uh, as he was heavily linked with the move to Barcelona last year. And the club moved fast to sign him on a five-year contract early in January. And during his time at Man City, Torres basically scored in every tournament he featured in four club and countries. So Barcelona, Daniel, will be hoping that this 21-year-old can build on that as uh, he will help Barcelona certainly uh, replace Sergio Aguero, another forward who left City for Camp No. And uh, Barcelona, you know, their financial troubles aside, They've done very well in this uh, latest transfer market. Oh, I think when you take a look, Scott, at the financial difficulties that Barcelona have encountered previously, and the, I suppose the financial difficulties that they are still in, 
this has been a remarkable transfer window for them. And I think that this is going to absolutely bolster their chances in La Liga to really shoot their way up the table. I don't think that they're they're going to have any chance to win it, but certainly to get back into the Champions League, maybe make a decent run in the Europa League now. But uh, yeah, they've had an exceptional transfer window given the state of their uh, the financial difficulties that they're in, Scott. Three moves also here, Daniel. Uh, one in Italy, Zeremi Bogu uh, moves from Atalanta from Sassuolo. Uh, Juan He Chan, a right back, moving to the, to the Premier League as he will join Wolverhampton uh, coming from Le- Leipzig. And Uda Mu Trawori, I'm trying to get <laughs> these names right, moving from Wolverhampton, Wolverhampton rather, to La Liga as he also signs with Barcelona. So Daniel, those three moves, your comments. Huge uh, in every respect because uh, Atalanta get another player that's just going to bolster them in terms of uh, making some noise and, and trying to get another European place uh, in Serie A. I think that the way that Wolverhampton Wanderers have done things this year, they're a team that do not concede goals. And the the, the addition now here with Wang Hee Chen, I think it's going to be huge for them because he's going to fit in really well to that tactical setup at Wolves. And then Adama Traore going to uh, Barcelona. Again, we just spoke about it, how uh, Barcelona have done magnificent uh, businesses transfer window. And now Traore is going to be a technically gifted player who's going to fit into the Barcelona setup really, really well. Fiorentina didn't stand idle after losing one of their their best players as they signed uh, Arthur Cabral from Basel. Uh, the 23-year-old has been very good in the Swiss Super League as he currently tops the goal-scoring charts in Switzerland's top tier, scoring 14 times in 18 outings. And certainly uh, Daniel Fiorentina hoping he can continue that as they push for a Serie A title. 100%. And any time that you lose a piece, you're going to need something to come in and uh, and replace it. And we'll talk a little bit more about how some uh, squads and some clubs didn't do that in a little while. But Arthur Cabral, he's able to score goals. Somebody needs to replace Vlahovic at, uh, at Fiorentina. And I think that uh, Fiorentina have done really good business to find an adequate replacement, Scott. Newcastle, a team in the Premier League that is in a relegation battle, uh, made a, a big signing, in my opinion, uh, Bruno Guamarias uh, from Lyon. And, uh, Daniel, I think this helps Newcastle in many ways as far as uh, upgrading uh, their uh, team. Uh, this is a guy that just is a solid player, and certainly uh, the Newcastle fans were hopeful with the new ownership that uh, moves like this would be possible, and they got one. I would say so, and I echo your statement that this is a big move for Newcastle, and this is a top player. So now Newcastle, with some uh, other signings, which we'll talk about, I suppose, a little bit uh, later on in terms of the winners and losers of the uh, the transfer window. Um, Newcastle have done tremendous business with splashing about ninety million pounds uh, on uh, on various players, and Bruno Gomares is a top top player. He might just save them uh, from being relegated. Luis Diaz uh, going from Porto to Liverpool. Uh, the 25-year-old has had a direct hand in 18 league goals for Porto this season, uh, helping a team uh, that already has a lot of talent. Uh, Diaz to Liverpool, your thoughts? Uh, I said that Dusan Vlahovic was probably the biggest move of the transfer window. This, for me, is like 1A, 1B. It's 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 right there because yeah. Luis Diaz is an absolutely top, top player, best player that played in the Portuguese league. I know we don't consider it one of the big five, but it very well could be on par with uh, Liga, uh, excuse me, Liga in France. So 
I think that this is absolutely huge for Liverpool. They needed somebody else to come in and bolster their squad in terms of giving them a little bit of squad depth because obviously we're seeing that's what you need in order to win championships and titles. And I think this is a massive move for Liverpool and obviously a great move for Luis Diaz. Since my Chelsea uh, Blues didn't make a whole lot of big names, I will mark this one as my favorite one of the transfer window. Christian Eriksen. Uh, this, of course, the uh, D- Denmark or from Denmark, the Danish player who, in Euro 2020, uh, suffered cardiac arrest on the pitch, uh, and he's been uh, suffering uh, from that for the past eight months. As uh, he is now going to Brentford, as he was unable to carry on his Serie A career with. Inter Milan after having a cardiofibular defibrillator, I probably messed that one up too, implanted as that device is not permitted in Syria. And what an opportunity for Erickson to go to play at Brentford, a team that was promoted last year, uh, a very exciting team if you watch any of their matches. And certainly uh, the Bees uh, from Brentford, uh, Daniel, got to just absolutely love having this guy. My favorite move of all of them. Yeah, you know what, I think that this is one, Scott, certainly that is, uh, you know, it's such a feel-good thing to see. And we always wanted, since uh, that that tragic incident happened in uh, this past summer at Euro 2020, um, we wanted Christian Eriksen to hopefully get back playing football. He's always been a top player. He still is a top player. And now he gets to kind of get back into the swing of things. And uh, it's huge for him. I think it's absolutely brilliant of Brentford to bring him in. And I'm so much looking forward to seeing the reception that Christian Eriksen gets and so rightly deserves. Manchester City, Daniel, they've been keen to sign a new striker since Aguero left for Barcelona, and they did. Unfortunately for City fans, uh, Julian Alvarez will be remaining on loan with River Plot until at least July. He was the top scorer in the Argentine top flight last year, scoring 18 goals in 25 games. But uh, City fans certainly have to be very excited to have this guy just 22 years old. Yeah, and I think that he'll fit in really nicely to Manchester City. But as much as it's a good move for Julian Alvarez, I have to say this, Scott, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that Manchester City, uh, Manchester City rather, necessarily need him. Right. But, uh, you know, just given the way that they've been playing and dominating the Premier League. But it's a good move for Julian Alvarez, and I'm sure that he will fit in quite nicely at Manchester City. Another team that's in a relegation fight, Daniel Burnley. Uh, their fans have been disappointed to see the back of Chris Wood, but with the money raised from his sale to relegation rivals Newcastle, they went and signed Wout Weghorst, uh, the towering Dutch striker from Wolfsburg, since he moved to Germany before the 2018-19 season. Only Robert Lewandowski has mm-hmm. scored more goals than Weghorst in the Bundesliga. Uh, he is sure to be a, a pretty good hit there at Turf Moor. I would say so. And the, the reality of relegation and, and battling relegation, Scott, as you'll know, you're not going to keep as many clean sheets nearly as the top teams or even the mid-table teams. So what you do need is somebody who's capable of scoring goals. And this lad absolutely can score goals. So Burnley fans can all rest assured that they have a legitimate chance of survival, plus not to mention they have a few games in hand. Rodrigo Bentecourt moves from Juventus to Tottenham. I know a lot of uh, Juventus fans may be happy to see that, but I still think this guy put in the right system uh, can do well. I don't think the system at Juventus really suited him, and now he's going to play at Tottenham, a team that has struggled this season. Your thoughts on that move? I actually think that this is a good move for Tottenham, to be honest. I think that Antonio Conte can get the best out of uh, Rodrigo Bentecourt, but 
we will see. I know, like you, like you said, Juventus fans were actually quite happy to see the back one, particularly with the other business that they did. But I think that this is a good move for him. And I also think that this is a good move for Tottenham, as much as that pains me to say. 19-year-old American Ricardo Pepe uh, moves from FC Dallas to Augsburg. Uh, certainly Pepe has kind of struggled a bit here in international play for the U.S. But uh, again, uh, somebody from the MLS going uh, to another big league in Europe uh, certainly speaks well for the development of the MLS and for Mr. Pepe. I would say so, development all the way around indeed. And, and the reality of the situation is if Anytime you get a signing like this, you really need to look at it from a holistic perspective. And he's such a young guy. He's going to grow. He's going to get better as a player. He's going to continue to develop, and the sky's the limit for him. So he will uh, he will definitely come good, Scott, and this is a, a big signing for him as well. <clears throat> Two other moves, Daniel, unless there's any others that I missed. Uh, Dennis Zakaria, he is going to Juventus. Again, the rich get richer as well as uh, Barcelona today confirmed the signing of Arsenal striker Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on a free transfer. Uh, so your thoughts on those two moves, Arsenal uh, losing another player and Barcelona again, just, you know, despite the financial difficulties, they're making it work. Well, absolutely. And as for, uh, as for Sakari, I think that that's another, it's another big move. And then in the case of uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, uh, I think that he's done wonders for Arsenal. He struggled the past two seasons, and uh, the one positive is that he does get off Arsenal's wage bill. And like you said, Barcelona continue to do really good business despite their financial difficulties, so that's why I say that they've had an incredibly successful transfer window, Scott. Daniel, are there any other transfers that you'd like to mention before we kind of look at the overall winners and losers of the transfer market? I mean, there's there's a few to go around. Robin Gozins uh, has gone to Inter. Anthony Martial is finally leaving United, going to Sevilla. Pablo Marie, another Arsenal player, going to Udinese. And then uh, Everton picked up a couple of players as well, Scott, that are going to fit under uh, Frank Lampard's system with Donny van de Beek and Deli Alli. And, uh, yeah, for me, those are kind of the standouts. But apart from that, we covered the major ones. And uh, to say that it was an entertaining transfer market would be an understatement. There was a lot of good business that happened and happened late. Yeah, and a lot of expensive business. According to TransferMark, the Premier League spent around 335 million pounds, which was the second highest in history. And other leagues, uh, the Serie A, 175 million, uh, La Liga, 75 million, France's League One, 66 million, uh, the Bundesliga, 62 million, for a total of 378 million pounds, which is about. 500 million uh, mm-hmm. dollars and 700 million Canadian dollars. So certainly it's a big money sport and uh, many of these players are making big money. And Daniel, as far as winners and losers of the transfer market, I'll start and I already mentioned the two teams that I think were the biggest winters, uh, winners rather, Juventus and Barcelona. You know, yes. Juventus has, has been trying to make moves now for quite some time after uh, Cristiano Ronaldo left for Manchester United and uh, we mentioned all the big ones they also made several other moves in the market so I think Juventus and Barcelona again being able to just navigate the transfer window with all their financial problems and they are certainly putting themselves on the right path especially uh, you know naming a new manager there a few months ago so I think Barcelona will be back in the mix very very soon other winners I think just the MLS uh, with uh, many of their yeah. players now being uh, you know <laughs> sought out 
by uh, big leagues that uh, we mentioned. Pepe, uh, there are several others, and so the MLS certainly uh, certainly making their mark as far as the world football stage. And Christian Erickson, obviously, I think, yeah. is a big winner. I mean, I remember watching that match, and that was before I think you and I got connected as much and just in just utter horror watching what happened on the field as I'm a yeah. big Finland fan uh, with my Finnish background. It just was what a bittersweet win that was, and just to see Erickson be able to play uh, domestic football again is uh, something that I'm certainly looking forward to see. Uh, Daniel, uh, who are your big winners from the transfer market? Well, for me, Scott, I mean, I, I agree 110% with everything that you just said. And, and I'm going to pick two winners, two major winners from this transfer window for two very different reasons. Number one, I echo your statements about Juventus, and I think that's been clear with what we've been talking about. They've done outstanding business. They've gotten quality signings in, and that's going to push them right up the table in City A. And it actually benefits them, not even so much this season, but for the future. Uh, moving forward so they'll be in the running for the Scudetto and I think in the Champions League they were always going to do okay but this uh, this certainly helps their cause and for a very different reason another winner that for me anyways uh, at the other end of things would be Newcastle United and I think that because they've made you know around five quality signings worth around 90 million and you know for Newcastle fans there's so much to look forward to in the future but if they can do a job if Eddie Howell can do a job with these players to stay up in the Premier League this season Given the signings they made this January transfer window, this will be looked at as unbelievably good business. As far as losers, Daniel, I think Manchester United and especially Jesse Lingard uh, would be uh, on uh, my loser list for this. Uh, Lingard's yet to start this season mm-hmm. for Manchester United. Uh, he was heavily rumored to be leaving Old Trafford, uh, possibly to West Ham or Newcastle. Instead, he's still uh, kind of locked on the board as far as trying to get uh, some playing time. And, and just Manchester United didn't make uh, really any big splashes. And it's a team that's certainly you know still alive in the Champions League and, and still has a chance to get a Champions League position in the Premier League uh, so that those are my two losers there uh, any uh, losers for you for the transfer window well Scott Manchester United might be a loser but what I think is going to end up happening is they're going to be winning a fourth place spot in the Premier League and I can't believe that I'm saying this, but the loser of this transfer window for me is Arsenal Football. I I was saving that for you, sir. Yeah, and for me, it was a shambles of a transfer window. Um, we had nothing but outgoings. And, you know, in every respect, this is a paper-thin squad at this point. And if you take a look at it from, let's say, front to back, we have two options up front, one player who's out of contract at the end of the season in Lacazette, and the other player doesn't want to be there in Eddie Nketiah. He doesn't want to sign a contract. In midfield, it's the same old, same old. It's the same old players we've had, and there's some players that are out of the squad at the minute. At the back, we're already playing players out of position because there's no cover at center back, right back, and left back. And the reality of the situation is, Scott, that if you take a look at this internally, Arsenal's about a suspension, an injury, or a COVID case away from absolutely crumbling. And for me, what I'm upset about most is, and I've been very clear on this position for years, really, that... Arsenal has been sold alive for the past 17 years under this horrendous ownership that we're working with the process and we have to trust the process. At what point do we say, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to trust this anymore because we haven't delivered anything in 17 years. We're putting 
you know, square pegs and round holes, so to speak. We're papering over cracks. And for me, I think it's incredibly clear, as much as it pains me to say, that Arsenal Football Club had a disgrace of a transfer window. We did absolutely no business, and we are the absolute losers of this transfer window. And I think that other clubs and other players must look at us and think, well, Arsenal is not the team that they once were, and there's no chance that a big player would want to go there anyways. They were on my list, Daniel, but I knew you as an Arsenal <laughs> fan would have a lot more to say and more details on it. And so uh, I would agree with you full heartedly. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this February 2nd edition of Full Time. And uh, Daniel, the manager carousel continues around the Premier League. Roy Hogston, who was sacked after last season at Crystal Palace, now the new manager of Watford as uh, Hodgson has managed since the mid-70s. He's been around a long time. And one of mm-hmm. my favorite players of all time, Frank Lampart, uh, former Chelsea player and manager, uh, now heading to another pressure cooker situation, as he found out in Chelsea, in Everton, who are surprisingly also in a relegation battle of their own. Uh, your thoughts on those two moves? Well, you know what? These are two very different managers from the point of view of age, from the point of view of experience. But if you actually take a look at their CVs, Scott, it's one of those things where you take a look at somebody like Roy Hodgson, been managing for 45 years. That's over half, uh, you know, it's about half of the average lifespan, if not a little bit more. So his entire life, for the most part, has been dedicated to football. And on his CV, he doesn't have a lot of trophies. He hasn't won a lot of things. But what he has done is he produced good players. And the one real fail that we can say has been, let's say, on Roy Hodgson's record is, England back uh, in the Euros in 2016. It would be it would be the only real fail we could say because when he goes to teams, he's not there to win. He's there to develop, keep teams up, and get them playing better football. So I think that you know uh, Watford's the merry-go-round of managers and as far as Premier League clubs go, but they've certainly got a good manager, and I think that he can do a job to potentially keep them up. And then as for Frank Lampard, he has so much less experience, but at the same time. I think what he did with Chelsea, despite not winning a trophy, I think was working a minor miracle because people have to remember, and you'll remember very clearly, Scott, that they had a transfer ban. And all Frank Lampard did was he pushed through young players and he got them into the Champions League, got them to an FA Cup final, got them to third place in the Premier League. And yes, any time that a manager is sacked, things ultimately don't go right. But if you only focus on the moment where he got sacked and you negate all the wonderful things they did at Chelsea as well as the wonderful things they did at Derby County, I think that you'd be a little bit illogical and you'd be a little bit senseless to think that way. I think Frank Lampard's an up-and-coming top manager, as is Steven Gerrard, as are a few others. But uh, I think this is a huge move for Everton. I think they're going to start playing better football, Scott. Yeah, I think it's a real good move for both teams. And, yeah, you you said what I was going to say about Lampard. I I don't think the story has been written correctly on just him and what he had to deal with at Chelsea. Like you said, Mm -hmm. uh, the transfer ban, that's huge in the world of soccer when you can't do that. I mean, your options are limited, and he certainly got Chelsea back where they needed to be, in my opinion. And we're seeing the success, uh, you know, last season winning the Champions League and this season being in the top three in the Premier League. Uh, Daniel, we'll have more on the Big Five domestic leagues coming up in our next show in two weeks as there haven't been a lot of matches because we have a lot of international matches going on over the past week or so, including Africa. The African Cup of Nations is to the semifinal stage in the quarterfinals. Cameroon shut out Gambia 2-0. Egypt over Morocco 2-1 as well. uh, You have Burkina Faso. They made the semifinals. I just looked up that score. They fall to Senegal 3-1. to So Senegal now in the finals, and they'll take on uh, either 
Egypt or Cameroon. Uh, you know, we did see a tragedy as far as the African Cup of Nations. Um, eight people died and 38 were injured during a crush outside of a stadium a week ago in a African Cup of Nations soccer game in Cameroon. Something, unfortunately, Daniel, we've seen far too often in the world of soccer. But just overall, the African uh, Cup of Nations, uh, certainly uh, Mr. Salah is doing a very good <laughs> job with Egypt. All he does is score goals every time he's on the pitch, Daniel. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, we've been talking about it for what seems to be, and I suppose it has been months on end, that he is, uh, you know, the best player in the world at this moment in time. But, uh, yeah, the, the African Cup of Nations, apart from that tragedy, Scott, and our thoughts and prayers are definitely with everybody involved in that. Uh, I think that it's been entertaining in terms of the football side of things. And the way that I see it, regardless, and this is just my personal opinion, whoever wins out of Egypt and Cameroon, that's going to be great. But I think that Senegal has been absolutely phenomenal this tournament. And I think that they will eventually be crowned on Sunday, February the 6th as the champions of, uh, of this great tournament. And what a story for Burkina Faso, uh, certainly a country that doesn't have a lot of uh, notoriety on the international stage in soccer. They had a military government coup while they were playing their African Cup of Nations matches in Cameroon. Uh, the, a military junta took over the government, and so certainly for them. They were probably glad to be out of there for a week, not dealing with that. But, uh, yeah, the final this weekend, and I agree, I think Senegal is a team to watch out for uh, on the international stage. And another team, Daniel, to watch out for on the international stage is Canada. You and I were texting back and <laughs> forth all Sunday afternoon as Canada hosted the United States in a World Cup qualifier in Hamilton. Uh, the teams did drew, draw rather 1-1 back in the United States earlier in the qualification round. And now tan- Canada, top of the eight-team group in CONCACAF with just four matches to play, including some tonight that we'll talk about in a moment as Canada knocks off the United States by the score of 2-0 and uh, leading, as I mentioned now, with a 6-0-4 record, 22 points, four points ahead of the United States in Mexico with just four matches left. And Daniel, you know, you look at that match, uh, the U.S., uh, you know, had the majority of the possession, they had the majority of the the chances, but I like the fact that that match was staged in Hamilton, which is known for a lot of steel production, because I think that's how Canada played with a lot of steel and just with a lot of, not a lot of, you know, just having the U.S. have their way. Uh, as a Canadian, that's a big win. The first time you beat the U.S. since 1980 in a World Cup qualifying. Uh, your thoughts on that match? Well, I think that you put it right there, Scott. Canada did play with a bit of steel, but I think one, I mean, the players, the, the players were exceptional. Let's not get that twisted. But somebody who deserves a ton of credit is head coach John Herdman. Absolutely. I think that he set up Canada from a tactical point of view almost to near perfection, sitting low, sitting deep, 4-4-2 basic, allowing the United States to go out into wide positions. And then when they came inside, whether it was into the half spaces, edge of the box, they were swarming the United States at every possible opportunity. And yes, the, you know, Canada was, was forced into some difficult defensive situations, but in the moment when they needed to be clinical, they were. And then at the end of the game, in order to, to finish things off, they did. Um, the reality of it is the United States is, is a far greater nation than Canada as, as far as soccer goes. But the fact that we, uh, we won and the fact that we are putting ourselves in a tremendous position to qualify, I can't say how happy I am right now, Scott. And Daniel, this rise of Canada, I'm a little older than you, and I can go back to my way back machine back when U.S. soccer was kind of facing the same thing that Canada is doing now. It was about 40 years ago. 
I was very young, but it was Mexico <laughs> that was the unquestioned regional power, and they had to contend with a vigorous challenge with an upstart team from the north. Uh, you know, that U.S. men's national team, uh, you know, they they were tough to beat, and, uh, you know, they didn't have maybe as much talent as Mexico, but over time it worked, and the American soccer culture took root, and then, you know, they hosted the World Cup and made many men World Cups. Uh, you know, Canada hasn't been to the final round of a World Cup qualifying since the late 90s, and I feel this is almost a, a similar script. Now the U.S. was a little more established over the years, facing this tough Canadian team. What is it that Canada does that makes them so tough to beat in this World Cup qualifying stage? Well, I think that just the identity, Scott, in terms of the way that Canada is going about their business, I think that it's, it's fluid. I think that it's concrete. Uh, but at the same time, I also believe that Again, John Herdman deserves a ton of credit for the way that he's come in and something that is kind of thrown around in the coaching sphere of things. He's changed the culture of Canadian soccer. And yeah. you see the togetherness of not only the players of the nation and people are now getting behind this idea that, hey, you know what? Yes, Canada is a hockey nation, but guess what? We could also be a basketball nation just as much as we can be a soccer nation. And people are really getting behind this idea now. The players that they have, they're the right uh, profile of player in terms of the way that Canada is setting up and the way that they like to play. So they are just quite easily and quite simply sticking to an identity. John Herdman has been a phenomenal, phenomenal coach, a real breath of fresh air for uh, men's soccer in Canada, just as he did with the women's. Um, and and that, that whole thing of culture, he's really shifted it. So I think that those are the big reasons, Scott. And hopefully, as, as far as the United States go, They've had themselves a great history, as you said, over the past 40-odd years. And hopefully now, maybe history can repeat itself, but from a Canadian perspective. And one of the things with the U.S., Daniel, before we look at the upcoming matches and some other things is, you know, they have problems up front. Uh, you know, we saw Pepe do well in the fall. He had three goals against Honduras, but it has been pretty quiet since as well. Uh, Christian Pulisic, uh, certainly somebody I keep my eye on. He looks frustrated out there in yeah. that 4-3-3 at left wing. Uh, you know, he seems to be kind of reluctant, stretching defenses when he runs behind and uh, when he gets surrounded, he, he kind of drifts around towards the center, unable to connect with teammates. Uh, is it the system? Is it the 4-3-3? Three, three? Or what's going on with the U.S. up front? Because, you know what, Jose Altador may not have been the best player ever, but boy, if you had him right now, I think this U.S. team would be having a lot more success. Well, and that was one of the text messages that you and I exchanged, Scott, that Altador probably would make a, a big difference for at least a player like him. Um, I, I actually do empathize with international managers, and, and the reason for that is because, you know, even in my coaching experience, if you have, let's say, you know, eight months before a season starts to work with a team, or even if yes. you have only a few months to work with a team, you can implement the way that you want to play, and you can get players to fit that. But with international management, it's so different because you're only getting the players for, in some cases, a few days before you got to play a bloody game. And it's like, yeah. you know, how, how do you implement what you want? Sometimes as a manager, you're going to have to just be equitable and just try and fit the players in to whatever it is that they need. You kind of have to deviate a little bit from what you want to do as a coach. So I empathize, I empathize rather with the international managers. And, I, and I'm not sure if it's the system. I'm not sure if it's the tactics. But maybe the United States, depending on how things go tonight, they might have to eventually look at, hey, if I can't play as a coach the way that I want to play, I might have to give the players what they need in order to be successful. And that might mean changing the system and changing the tactics. 
So looking at the CONCACAF table, ma- table rather, uh, with four matches to play, Daniel, Canada on top with 22 points, U.S. and Mexico both with 18 points. Mexico played to a 1-1 draw against Costa Rica on the last match day. The U.S. does have a plus one as far as goal differential. Panama won their match over Jamaica 3-2, so they are one point back with 17 points. Costa Rica still alive, but they're going to need a lot to get in that top three or top four. They have 13 points. And do, don't forget that the top three teams in CONCACAF automatically qualify for the World Cup. Team four, the fourth place finisher, will play the first place finisher from Oceana. So a good chance for four CONCACAF teams to make it, Daniel. Uh, match day 11 will be later today as we record this edition. Canada is at El Salvador tonight at 9 p.m. The U.S. U.S. will host Honduras at 7.30 in frigid Minneapolis. Mexico is home to Panama, and Jamaica hosts Costa Rica. So for me, it's pretty simple, Daniel. Canada with a win tonight. It's not going to be easy. El Salvador is a tough place to play. They did win their last match. Canada gets points tonight. They're in real good shape. It would take a lot for them not to finish in that top three. And uh, with U.S., of course, U.S. soccer fans, it's never easy in CONCACAF qualifying. Uh, those that follow this team won't forget about five years ago when there were 14 out of 15 scenarios that the U.S. was going <laughs> to advance going into their last match day at Trinidad Tobago, and all those scenarios went out the window. So the U.S. has four matches left. They have Panama and Honduras at home. To me, they got to get max points, Daniel, because they go to Mexico. That's always a tough place to play. Canada did well to get a point out of there. And then they finish at Costa Rica. And that's where all those thoughts start in my mind of the last qualification cycle where they needed points or they needed a result in a tough place to play. So Canada's in good shape. U.S. fans shouldn't panic. But uh, tonight's match goes a long way. Uh, Your thoughts on how the rest of it plays out? Well, I look at it from this point of view, Scott, and I'll go back to the Canada and U.S. games just to kind of uh, make it very clear. So let's say that Canada played the United States and won the game 2-0 and played poorly. Well, as a Canadian, you might look at that game and say, okay, yes, we played poorly, but at the same time, if we play poorly and still can get a result against a top, top team, that's a good sign. So I think tonight, as far as the United States goes, if they put in a proper performance against Honduras, I think that that can you know, kind of reinvigorate the squad. But I think ultimately tonight from, you know, from a holistic point of view, I think really the United States just needs to get a result. I think that's what it's all about. Just like you said, maximizing points. So eventually the U.S. will get on par and we'll get on on track with performances, but it's all about getting a result tonight. And as far as Canada goes, like you said, they're inching ever closer. And again, in their case, if they can keep the performance level incredibly high, which I hope that they do, I can't see how that they're going to drop points, even in a difficult place to play like El Salvador. So high hopes for Canada and, of course, the best of luck to the United States, Scott. Yes, indeed. It's going to be a fun one to watch. I'm going to watch both of them tonight. Daniel, before we go to some other items here, I, I did project or predict the rest of how I think the table will go in CONCACAF. I think Canada gets max points tonight at El Salvador. I think they get a draw at Costa Rica, max points at home to Jamaica, and lose their only qualification game at Panama. That would give them 29 points they would go through. I have the U.S. tonight winning at home to Honduras. I have them losing to Mexico. I have them getting max points and winning at home to Panama. And drawing at Costa Rica, that would give them 25 points. 
Mexico, I think, uh, has a draw tonight to Panama, and then they win their last three games. They play some of the bottom feeders, giving them 28 points. So Mexico and Canada through, U.S. with 25, and this is where it gets tricky, Panama. I say they draw with Mexico, beat Honduras, lose at the U.S., and beat Canada. If they do, that gets them 24 points. They would be in that fourth place position. Uh, any thoughts on those predict- predictions? And, uh, you know, that's I, I, what I think is going to happen certainly probably won't happen, but I, I mapped it out, and that gives Mexico, U.S., and Canada a spot in the World Cup. Well, at the end of the day, Scott, it's, it's better to have uh, a plan of any kind than to have no plan at all. And I do believe that uh, I do believe that you are as close as any as anybody could predict, and probably as close as I would predict too. I don't know the exact order. I'm hoping that Canada is going to get maximum points tonight. I can't see them winning out in the remaining four games that they have, but at the same time, they might not have to. Um, but I do believe that Canada, the United States, and Mexico, in some way, shape, or form, in, in whichever order it might be, will go through. That fourth-place spot, I don't know, I, I do believe it's going to be Panama. Costa Rica would have to do some job to get there because they're four, four points off of it already. But I think that the, the top four that you mentioned there, Scott, I think that that probably will come true. And uh, it might not be as simplistic as people might see it because uh, some of the games are going to be more difficult than others. But I do believe that the top four that you mentioned will come true. And Daniel, uh, teams that have already qualified for the World Cup, of course, of course they host uh, Qatar in the World Cup. Uh, Europe has 13 spots. They already have uh, 10 tickets punched. Germany, Denmark, France, Belgium, Croatia, Spain, Serbia, England, Switzerland, and the Netherlands will have the UEFA playoffs coming up in March. Uh, in South America, two teams in, Brazil and Argentina, two more spots to give out, and then the international qualifier for the fifth-place team, which will go against the fifth-place team from Asia. Two teams in uh, so far, Iran and South South Korea, South Korea just clinching yesterday. Two more teams to come. In Africa, there'll be five spots. It'll either be Egypt or Senegal. That'll be a great matchup in the World Cup uh, round robin. Uh, Cameroon or Algeria, Ghana or Nigeria, Democratic Republic of the Congo or Morocco or Mali or Tunisia. CONCACAF will get three spots and then the international qualifier for the fourth place spot against the first place qualifier from Oceania, very likely New Zealand. So that is your World Cup field as we stand as the qualification will end in March. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this February 2nd edition of Full time and Daniel, a final topic, uh, local soccer. Obviously, we're not playing uh, on the pitch right now because the pitch is covered with a lot of snow. Uh, Any (laughs) local soccer updates that you want to give our listeners here tonight? Well, yeah, for sure, because we have just come out of uh, a shutdown slash lockdown as of Monday, and uh, this is being recorded on a Wednesday. So it was nice to be back out on Monday, Scott. I had the opportunity to referee some youth soccer. So that was great to have the kids back out there playing. Um, so everything's kind of resuming right now, youth soccer, youth competitive soccer, men's and women's soccer. Um, so I, I'm even getting the chance to, to have a pickup friendly tonight. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we are also resuming training as far as our uh, as far as our development program goes with Northern Heights soccer. So everything's kind of starting back up again here, Scott, after about a two month uh, pause. So uh, we're really looking forward to getting back in, and this is a great thing for for us here in uh, the province of Ontario. 
It certainly is. And uh, just getting uh, the youngsters out there uh, to compete. Uh, you know, we've had lockdowns here in the past. Uh, you guys have had a lot more over there. Uh, just the well-being of our youngsters yeah. during this COVID-19 pandemic is something that I think that's beginning more and more attention, at least on this side of the border, Daniel. And sports is so much a part of that. You know, you teach, and so you're you're around these kids a lot. Just, uh, you know, this pandemic, you know, sports-wise, we talk about all the effects it's had, but just, just on the mental health of youth, you know, some of these yeah. kids now that are in elementary school, they've dealt with COVID maybe a quarter of their lives and it seems like yeah. this is something that's been going on and on and it can't be understated in my opinion how important it is to have these uh, youngsters and athletes out there on the pitch on the field on the rink on the diamond just being able to do what they love well exactly that and like I always put myself in the position of anybody else who's going through a difficult time and I'm not sure as, as an elementary student or a high school student or even a university varsity athlete if this was going on while I was there as, as a student I'm not sure how I would feel you know so my heart does go to all the the students all of the uh, all of the players but like you said it's great to have all the young kids back out playing and doing what it is that they love and hopefully we can continue to trend in the right direction and uh, hopefully you know, things get better in, in, in the not so distant future because we want to get back to doing what we love and that is playing uh, sports and doing what we like to do with friends without interruption. Well said, sir. Daniel, appreciate you joining us once again here on Full Time. Uh, enjoy the matches tonight and we will talk to you in two weeks' time for our next edition, sir. Absolutely, yes. An absolute pleasure tonight, Scott, and uh, you enjoy the matches as well. I'm going to go and play a little bit of pickup friendly soccer and then I'm going to come home and it's going to be right on the coach to watch these games. Absolutely. Our next edition of Full Time will be on Wednesday, February 16th. Daniel and I will record it every other week, usually on Wednesdays. We might have to move around the schedule from time to time, depending on our schedule. We want to make this a bi-weekly feature, at least during the season, then maybe a monthly feature during what uh, three-week off-season, because it <laughs> seems like there's not much of an off-season. I want to thank everyone for listening tonight. Again, you can find Full Time on the website, thegamesportshow.com, thegamesportshow.podbean.com, or just type in the Game Sports Show on your favorite podcast platform. You'll find it there. We're on pretty much everything, and you can download it for free, and we appreciate all the listeners listening. For Daniel Scarpino, my name is Scott Nason. We'll talk to you in two weeks for our next edition of Full Time here on The Game Entertainment and Media.